This is episode 27 of The Investor's Podcast. Broadcasting from Bel Air, Maryland, this is The Investor's Podcast. They'll read the books and summarize the lessons. They'll test the waters and tell you when it's cold. They'll give you actionable investing strategies. Your host, Preston Pish and Sting Broderson. All right, how's everybody doing out there? This is Preston Pish, and I'm your host for The Investor's Podcast. And with me is always Stig Broderson from Denmark. And today we've got a fantastic guest for you. His name is Andrew Sather, and he comes from us from eInvestorsForBeginners.com and the Money Tree Podcast. And so, Andrew, I've got an appreciation for what you do because I think Stig and I have a very similar background as you. And that's that we're out there trying to make investing very simple for people to understand. And if you've ever gone to uh, Andrew's site, this investingforbeginners.com, you're going to find that that's exactly what Andrew's trying to do is to help people understand the art of investing by making the financial terminology, the the basics to it, more understandable for the general uh, population. And we got a deep appreciation for what you're trying to do, Andrew. So we found it very pertinent and you is the perfect guest to come on our show to talk about what it is that you do. And the thing that Andrew really specializes in is he specializes in the art of detecting value traps. So Andrew's going to be talking. That's what this whole uh, episode today is all about, is the idea of trying to detect value traps and how it's important to not get sucked into thinking that you're only seeing maybe one variable that has a really good characteristic to it and that you're not considering all the other variables that kind of go along with it. And I just want to throw something out real fast because Monish Pabrai, who who Stig and I follow very closely, he's just a fantastic uh, investor. He says that investing, when you're looking at all these different variables to investing, that it's like flying an aircraft. You can't just look at the altimeter of the aircraft and think that you are in good shape because you might be flying up on a mountain. So you've got all these different variables that you're looking at simultaneously. And when you piece those together, that gives you the full picture. And that's what Andrew's going to be talking to us about today is that ability to piece things together and detect the value trap. So, and one other thing that I really like about Andrew is that he has a background in electrical engineering. So I automatically uh, like you, Andrew, because my background, I, I have a background in engineering as well. So I just wanted to throw that out there. <laughs> hey, well, thanks for having me on. Uh, it's, it's really an honor. And I really like what both you guys are doing, Stig and Preston. Uh, you know, Warren Buffett had the thing where he read every book in the finance section of his library by the time he was 11. And so what you guys are doing with the show, with all the executive notes and everything, I definitely follow along and it helps me to try to make it towards that goal. So I want to appreciate you guys for everything you do. Thanks, Andrew. Really appreciate it. All right. So with, with that, uh, let's go ahead and uh, kick it over to Stig and he's got the first question. Okay. So, uh, Andrew, uh, say that I look at a bundle of stocks uh, where the stock price has moved nowhere for years while the rest of the stock market has soared. Uh, I might think that these stocks are bargains now, but how do I know if they're value traps or indeed bargains? Well, yeah, that's kind of the million dollar question right there. Uh, you know, the way investing works is you want to try to buy low. That's kind of the, the general mantra everybody follows buy low, sell high. The problem with that, and, you know, when you're trying to become a value investor and you're trying to buy assets at a discount to their intrinsic value, you get, you have to sift through the garbage. There's a lot of junk that comes down that way. And so when you're buying low, what you're really doing is, 
you're buying these companies when they're out of favor. And a lot of times there is a good reason why they're out of favor. Companies just naturally go down and don't succeed like they, like they should. And so you see companies that the phrase is trying to catch a falling knife. And so what you got to do when you're value investing is you got to be careful about these falling knives and you got to know what they look like. And if you can identify them, then you'll, you'll be in a lot better place. So the biggest value trap is a bankruptcy. And in knowing that you want to be able to understand the symptoms of a bankruptcy so that you can avoid it before it hits you. Uh, so that's what, that's kind of what I do. And that's what I've been focusing on lately. I did some research and I established what I call the value trap indicator. And what I did is I examined the 30 biggest bankruptcies of the last century. So we're in the 21st century. Uh, if you look at the 30 biggest bankruptcies, a lot of these companies were in the S and P 500. They were well-respected, well-followed. People really looked at these companies and a lot of them seem profitable and then the next day they're gone. So what the value trap indicator did was take all of the, the companies that went bankrupt, looked at what happened and then tried to basically make a number, number based indicator to prevent from this happening again. So of the 30 bankruptcies, 29 of them would have been prevented with the value trap indicator. So for a 96% success rate, uh, the value trap indicator did a good job as far as that. Okay, so um, I've got the next question, and um, this one has to do with an interview that we recently had with a person on our show uh, two weeks ago, Toby Carlisle, and he was talking to us about deep value investing, which involves the purchase of a company that typically has some value trap indicators to it. Uh, So what makes your approach different than his um, as you're talking about value traps? Because one of the things that Toby was saying was that he wants one of the ugliest companies that he can find in order to get the biggest gain out of it in a short duration after he would purchase it. Yeah. So I definitely did. I I listened to that. So I think it was great. Uh, There were a lot of great ideas and opinions and uh, definitely, you know, when you get into things like deep value, there's a lot of risk that can come with it. But again, that's where the reward comes from. So you got high risk, high reward. Uh, have you, either of you heard of Ted Williams? He's a, he's a baseball player. He was one of the best hitters of all time. Have you heard about Ted Williams? I've heard about him, but I don't know that much about him. So, so Ted Williams, uh, played baseball. And it, so the way that, uh, batting average works is that you try to, not only do you have to make contact with the ball, but you have to make contact with the ball and get on base. And that's how you get a high batting average. So uh, back when Ted Williams used to play, a good batting average was like 300. So Ted Williams was able to get a batting average of 400 in a season. So he's outperforming the average by more than more than like 10%. And his secret to successful hitting was not, how am I going to focus on what's the best ball to hit? He said, I'm going to focus on what are the best balls not to hit. And so by reducing the strike zone and segregating it, he figured out which balls have the greatest percentage of him getting on base. And as a result, he became, he set many records. He became one of the best, greatest hitters of all time. And when people think about great baseball hitters, they think of Ted Williams. And so I tried to take that approach with investing as well. You know, the value trap indicator is a quant based metric. So there are a lot of similarities to a lot of the other quant based metrics you have 
everybody has their own valuation they like to use. Buffett had his owner's earnings. O'Shaughnessy had his, what works on Wall Street. He had the price to sales. He had the price to book. He had, and then he incorporated momentum as well. He had Benjamin Graham with the cigarette butts and the PB. So these are the different metrics that people like to rely on. The, the thing that makes the value chart indicator different is instead of optimizing for how much overperformance can we get with one or two metrics, instead it's, it provides a, a fail safe for when one or two metrics are not good, then that's when we're going to stay away. So we're not optimizing for what's the best opportunity. We're looking at what's what are the, the pitches that are coming our way that might look great, but in reality, there's not as high of a percentage and we're just going to avoid those. And so by taking a lot of various valuations, we try to cover our bases and avoid those situations that might lead us into bankruptcy. And so, you know, the saying goes, the only thing you have to fear is fear itself. Well, if you can understand how a bankruptcy works, you'll never have to fear bankruptcy. So you'll never have fear in the market. I love it. That is fantastic. And I, I really like your point about uh, Ted Williams. So uh, good points, Andrew. That's awesome. Uh, Stick, go ahead with the next one. So, uh, Andrew, would you uh, care to provide a few historical examples of uh, great companies that investors might have been thinking there was uh, profitable stock picks at a great price, uh, but proved to be value traps? Yeah, sure. So I think the obvious one is Lehman Brothers. Everybody kind of thinks about that when they think about these crazy bankruptcies that made everybody just get so surprised. You had Lehman Brothers, by every metric of profitability, they seem to be just the perfect company. Look at their income statement. It's flawless. They have growth. They have uh, a low PE ratio, low price to book ratio. Uh, all of these things look great. And then even the cash flow, I mean, uh, discounted cash flow, free cash flow, they were superb in all metrics except except the debt to equity. So they had a debt to equity of 29 and it, to to put that into perspective, uh, a company with debt to equity usually is around one. Uh, when you have a company that's a financial like Lehman Brothers, it's usually around 10. So even in financial terms, they were three times more leveraged than the average financial. You, you talk about 29 times more leveraged than the normal company. You have a crisis like 08 and of course they're going to go under. So th- that's one example of of really a company that it looked great on the surface, but if you look at everything, then you'll understand that the debt to equity was really too high. And then uh, another one I actually wrote about on my blog, and it was this company, I was I was doing the screen and I was looking for some great value. I wanted a high dividend among other things. And I found this company called Atlantic Power. They had a dividend over 10% at the time. Even the debt to equity was great. It was like 023 if, if you know Graham, you know that he likes high current ratio. So you're looking at over four at the current ratio. I mean, that's the, the kind of thing that Graham would like. He, the price to book was very low. But one little metric, the, the, the earnings were negative for the year. Uh, so I, I wrote about and I warned uh, on my blog that this is a value trap. Stay away. It looks really juicy, but you just got to stay away from it. And luckily for people who follow my advice, that stock tanked from like, the eight or 10 range down to like the two range and it's hovering around two, $2 a share now. And so those are the type of things that can really hurt your returns as a value investor, because to be honest, I mean, when you're searching for value, you do get a lot of high returns, but the problem, your returns, your average return will lower if you're getting these big drawbacks as well. And so that's what I try to prevent. 
So, uh, Andrew, I can't help but thinking, uh, now you're talking about bankruptcies, which of course is like the ultimate value trap, uh, but what about time? Uh, could you share your thoughts on that? Because I guess that time is a, is a major cost too for you as an investor. Well, definitely, uh, you know, when you're looking at something like the value trap indicator, it's a very conservative metric. So, like you say, you have the opportunity cost and there is a good chance that you might miss out on some great returns. So, I mean, the way the way the value trap indicator works, I really look down strongly on things like leverage. So a lot of times that keeps you out of the financials and those type of stocks. Uh, but if you turn around enough stones, I mean, there's there's over 6000 stocks in the just in the U.S. market. And, you know, there's there's so many opportunities out there uh, when you're looking at like the financials. Yes, you might miss out on the big returns when they recover. But at the same time, you miss out on a lot of the, the downfall and a lot of the, the drawdowns that come along with that. So I think it, it is a strict balance and you, you do have to you do have to consider what's my opportunity cost that I'm losing. But at the same time, what's the opportunity cost of a stock that rises 300%, but had a PE of a thousand. Uh, that's, that's something you have to consider as well. So it's really just uh, a person's like preference for risk. It's really what you're comfortable with. And it's really, what are you trying to avoid? Uh, doing this research on the bankruptcies, I know exactly because I've been so immersed with the bankruptcies. I try to share about all that research with the book, uh, I have coming out soon called value trap indicator. Uh, so knowing all those things, I'm able to be very strict on my valuations. If it doesn't meet one valuation, it's because there's a reason and it's because these are the type of symptoms that a company has experienced before. So Andrew, it's funny because um, one of the big things that I pulled out of security analysis with Ben Graham was he talks about this idea of whenever you're assessing a business and something that you're getting ready to invest in, he always starts with the mitigation of your potential risks first, where he's talking about, hey, look at the debt to equity, look at the current ratio, look at uh, on your income statement, your coverage ratio. All these ideas really revolve around how much debt is the company taking on versus how much do they, how much are they earning and how much are they going to have to pay back? And he starts always there. That way he can make sure that he doesn't get into a value trap situation like you're referring to. And then after he's basically made that determination that he feels that the company is safe and then the earnings in the future will continue to produce enough income to pay those debts, that's when he goes in and figures out what he thinks the intrinsic value of the company is. He won't even go to that second step until he figures out whether he feels like it's a safe investment. And so it just it totally uh, syncs with what you're telling our audience here and, and how important it is in order to make sure you mitigate those risks first. So uh, that with all that said, it kind of leads into my next question in that I think a lot of people out there, a lot of investors do not have this strong background that you might have or like Stig in accounting where they understand all this terminology like current ratio and coverage ratio and things like that. And so I guess the question that I have is for a person that might not have that strong background in accounting or a firm understanding of these indicators, do you think um, it would be more beneficial for them to focus on index funds to lower their exposure to risk? Believe it or not, I actually don't have a background in accounting whatsoever. 
I'm just a guy who really likes diving into the books and uh, I kind of picked all this up as I went along. So don't think that you have to get four years at a, at a university with an accounting degree in order to make this stuff work. You, you can you can do this all on your own, but it's not easy at the same time. You do have to put in the time and the study. That being said, uh, with the value chart indicator, as I mentioned in my book, even though we are looking at these bankruptcy cases, yes, at, if you follow these these methods, you will stay away from 96% of the bankruptcies, whatever the number may be. But there's always that small chance of a company who, for whatever reason, I mean, this this is the stock market. This is real life. Things happen that just nobody can predict for. Nobody's models can predict. And so this is why you have to diversify your risk. You have to be diversified. You You need to spread your, your investments over many different types. I mean, even looking back at the previous bankruptcies, there was a company called Monaco RV and they, they were a very cyclical company in the sense that they depended on consumer demand to make their earnings. They had a very strong balance sheet. Everything checked out. I mean, the value trap indicator said it was a strong buy. Everything looked great. Even uh, the, the CEO at the time. So they interviewed him afterwards and he said, we should have stayed liquid and we should have stayed open, but the banks wouldn't give us money. So for whatever reason, you know, they, they hit a rough patch where they have one bad quarter. And then all of a sudden 3000 people were lost their jobs. The company went under. So you have these situations where even if a company is well run, like I said, 96% of the bankruptcies I looked at, they were predictable and there were big red flags that say, okay, these companies are in trouble, but there's always the off, the off case that a company could go bankrupt just because of a crisis or because of the banks or whatever it may be. And we don't know what the future holds. So this is why if you have a diversified portfolio of a group of stocks, you are lowering your downside risk and you are making sure that one little freak accident doesn't screw up your financial future. And so if you don't want to, I mean, I I don't think you have to be an expert to really profit from these concepts. Uh, you could pick literally just pick up a book or two, apply what you learn and you, you'll be fine. But for the people who maybe want something that's a little bit less involved, definitely an index fund is something, you know, that you should go for. But at the same time, these are concepts you need to understand. If you're holding an index fund and it, it goes down 50% during the bear market and you sell out, well, you're, you're just in as bad of a situation as if you hadn't even gotten an index fund at all. So you need to not only understand these concepts, but process them and, and use them and make sure you're doing a long-term strategy. And index funds are also a great way to do that. Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. The dream of owning a vacation home can be daunting. From finding the best guests, to the maintenance, to organizing the cleaners after every guest day. With Vacasa, they make that dream into a reality. As a full-service vacation home management company with vacation homes in key destinations across the U.S., they know how to make owning a vacation home easy and profitable. On top of proactive property maintenance visits by professional local teams, a data-driven booking platform, and around-the-clock support, homeowners earn on average 20% or more revenue from their vacation homes. Vacasa makes vacation home ownership easy. If you're looking to make more from your vacation home by doing less, partner with Vacasa at vacasa.com. That's vacasa.com to get started on your dream of owning a vacation home. 
Have you ever wondered if there's an AI tool like ChatGBT specifically built for the stock market? A tool that not only aids you in your research and analysis process, but also allows for dynamic discussions? Today, I want to share such a tool with you called Meka. Meka is the AI-powered stock research assistant now enhanced with real-time stock data. Meka does a lot of the heavy lifting of sifting through financial statements and company data and delivers it to you nearly instantaneously, and the best part is that it's 100% free. Try it out today and ask Meka questions like, what is the financial health of Microsoft? How much cash does Copart hold on its balance sheet? What is the return on invested capital of Adobe or millions of other prompts? Check it out today for free at Meka.com. That's M-E-Y-K-A.com. Today's episode is sponsored by Range Rover Sport. Range Rover Sport leads by example with their dynamic design that rises to the occasion. It's got powerful on-road performance and commanding all-terrain capabilities coupled with signature Range Rover refinement. The third generation Range Rover Sport is the most desirable, advanced, and dynamically capable one yet, redefining sporting luxury. It's got advanced cabin technologies such as active noise cancellation and cabin air purification offering next-level comfort and refinement. The purposeful cockpit-like driving position sets the tone for a focused interior that promotes exhilarating driver engagement. Award-winning PIVI Pro infotainment is at the heart of the experience and provides intuitive control of the vehicle systems. You can enjoy a dynamic drive and total comfort with optional 22-way adjustable heated and ventilated electric memory front seats with massage function. Design your Range Rover Sport at LandRoverUSA.com. That's LandRoverUSA.com. All right, back to the show. I really like that last point because I think a lot of people think that, oh yeah, I'm just going to buy an index fund because all that stuff's really hard to understand and I don't really... Uh, and, you know, I don't I just don't know what they're even talking about. So I'm just going to buy this index fund. And then, like you say, it goes down 50 percent. And because they don't understand the inherent nature of what it is that they own and they don't understand what it's all about, they sell out because they're scared and, and the fear is induced because they lack the knowledge. So I really like that point. And I think that's a very strong point. Even if you just educate yourself a little bit. You're going you're gonna to understand that markets move in cycles. And if it goes down, you have an opportunity to purchase more equity. Those basic things, even if you don't go down the rabbit hole as far as, as some of us have, um, I think just understanding some pieces of it are going to help educate you so that you stay strong during that and you increase your position. So, yeah, go ahead, Stig. And uh, Preston, I think that's a really good point because often you hear you know, really brilliant business people that do understand everything there is about accounting uh, and actually how to select individual stocks, they still invest in index funds uh, simply because it's easier for them. They don't need to monitor the companies um, as they have to if it's individual stock picks, but still they make really good returns because they understand the process. And they're, for instance, as Preston was saying, they do not uh, sell, as you were saying too, Andrew, they do not sell if, if the index fund lose 50% price. So uh, so even for really, really smart people, uh, you know, don't think that, because you are selecting individual stock picks, you know you you need to be really really smart. Uh, all the opposite, uh, you can actually do uh, do both, and uh, and that actually leads me to the uh, to the next question, Andrew, uh, because I was thinking if I really want to to copy what you were doing, uh, more or less at least. But what is your own investment process for avoiding these value traps? Um, could you just take us through the process, you know, perhaps step by step? 
Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's three financial statements that every company is required to file by the SEC. You have the income statement, the balance sheet, and the cash flow statement. If you look at those statements, uh, they actually tell you a different picture. And if you can understand what that picture is, you'll, you'll understand the process a little bit better. So the income statement really tells you how is the company doing right now? What's their health right now? The balance sheet is what's the company look like long-term? Are they a good company? Are they strong financially? Do they look like they have a great future? And then the cash flow statement is a really great place to to look at what's the, the performance going to look like in the next few years. So a lot of value investors like to jump onto the cash flow statement. And it's, it's a great place to go because you have the free cash flow, the discounted cash flow. By looking at these what these cash flows are doing now, oftentimes that formulates what happens in the the next few years coming up ahead. So if you look at it, look at it in those three ways, you really have to understand that you need, you need parts of each statement in your analysis or else you're missing the whole picture. And so what the value chart indicator does is it takes uh, seven categories and we have some from the income statement, some from the balance sheet, some from the cash flow statement. And if any one of those metrics look out of whack, if any one of those metrics trigger a red flag, then automatically it's either going to be a strong sell or we're just not even going to get involved with that stock. Uh, that, that does, you know, preclude us and there is some opportunity cost lost there, but the value of being able to sleep at night, knowing that I've done everything I possibly can and I've looked at every situation that could possibly be negative and I've accounted for that really to me that that's priceless. And so that's, that's kind of what the value chart indicator does. Obviously I break it down in the book and we, we look at every single category, but those are the main things that, that we look at. And if anything, I mean, it just takes one, like I said, Lehman Brothers, debt to equity over, over 29, just that one metric. Okay. We're not going to buy it. Even though for years and years and years, it looked great. It was one of fortune 500s top companies, you know, everybody saying praises of it, but it just takes one, one metric. And so that's why we avoid those type of situations. And I think that you using Lehman is a very good example because most of the time when you see a really ugly company, like let's go back to 2007, 2008, and you look at GM, like their numbers were horrible. Like you, you could see it across multiple variables, but his, his discussion about Lehman is really important because Lehman had a lot of good indicators across the board and they had one sore thumb that was really sticking out. And that should be enough for investors to really say, you know, there's just something not adding up here. There's something that's being pushed into this corner over here and it's not making sense. And that needs to be kind of your, um, you know, if you find a fantastic business, you are not going to see something like that. If you pull up Berkshire Hathaway today, you're not going to see anything on there that shows a value trap indicator um, like you might see in some other businesses. So you need to be very picky. And it goes back to Andrew's original uh, example with uh, Ted Williams in hitting. He was making sure that he wasn't swinging at any of the pitches that had a low probability of not getting a hit. So uh, I really like the, the the fact that you keep coming back to Lehman because um, you know, a lot of companies when they start looking ugly, that's it's ugly across the board. But um, you need to be very choosy in what you uh, select. So, uh, with that said, Andrew, if you could narrow down your value trap to two major indicators, uh, what would you say that those two indicators are? That that's that's a really great question because um, 
it's it's simpler than you might think you know it's we use all these big terms and all this jargon and it sounds like oh my gosh it must be this crazy secret that i don't even know i can't comprehend but really the answer is quite simple uh i'm gonna give you one last story just because i like to work in stories so there's vince lombardi have you heard of him oh yeah Oh yeah, yeah. So every time there's a Super Bowl, you know, they're they're holding Vince Lombardi up. He was such a great coach back in the day that they named the championship trophy after him. Uh, what he had, he had a really great team one year, and they they went to the playoffs. They were expected to win it all, heavy favorites, and they they got just absolutely destroyed. It was it was completely a letdown, and you know he was very embarrassed. So the next year in training camp, the very first day of training camp, he made a speech to all the players and he said, we're going to get down to the fundamentals. We're going to learn every single fundamental. And if you don't understand the fundamentals, you know, uh, you have no choice. Like we're going to go through each little one. So the very first day they just practice tackling the, the sort of stuff you, the, that you learn in peewee football as a little kid. And they went through every single fundamental to the point where the players were getting annoyed and they would, they would make fun of the coach like, <laughs> Oh, stop coach. You're going way too fast for us. You know, but they they meticulously went through, and this is how they did their training camp. And sure enough, that team went on to win the Super Bowl. They won, they won multiple Super Bowls. I think he had like five championships or something like that. And now the trophy is named after him. So what I'm really stressing with everything with the value trap indicator is let's learn the fundamentals. The number one way that you can measure if a company is successful or not is if it is making a profit. The, the number one goal of a company is to turn a profit. So if it's not able to do that, I don't care if you call it lost leader. I don't care if you think there's going to be a comeback. I'm telling you right now, I analyze every single bankruptcy in the past 21st century, whatever we've seen up to now. And the number one thing that every company that most companies had in common was they had negative earnings. So this is a huge red flag. If you're going to invest in a company that has negative earnings, you're, you, you're gambling with your money. You know, you're taking a big chance. Yes, there's the, the chance that they do recover, but a lot of times these companies don't. And when they're saying that they are bleeding cash and they're in the red, they are warning you that there is trouble on the home front. So you need to be careful of those situations. And then the second one we kind of already touched on. And that's the debt to equity with Lehman Brothers. Uh, just like when a person, you see an individual person and they're having trouble financially, what finally takes them to bankruptcy court in, uh, in the personal finance world is too much debt, too much leverage. And it's the exact same thing with companies. A company with too much debt is, is really walking, they're towing the line and they're, they're really hoping that nothing, hap- nothing bad happens. And so for a, a bull market, which may last five, six, seven years, things can be perfectly fine and they can have great profitability. Oftentimes this leverage leads to more profitability because they're able to maximize their profits and they, they're able to do things that companies that don't lever up uh, aren't able to do. But it does catch up with them. And a lot of these companies do end up bankrupt because of too much debt. So you want to you want to look out for negative earnings and you want to look out for debt to equity. Uh, Stig, go ahead. Yeah, Andrew, I just want to say it was you know a fantastic uh, point because you know we hear all these stories about uh, how one investor was able to find uh, a company that was rebounding, uh, what everyone thought would you know go broke, but then it you know it just uh, skyrocketed the, the the share price just skyrocketed. But but basically, uh, these companies that has too much debt and have negative earnings, they're just too hard to figure out. I mean, even if you spend countless hours, I mean, at least in my opinion, it's just too hard to figure out whether or not uh, they will be profitable over time. 
So, um, yeah, Preston, I see you have a point, it, too. Yeah, it's just a it's a probability thing. So you can have success by picking one of these companies that has, you know, bad earnings for multiple years. But the problem is, is your probability drastically decreases. You're down in like the less than 5% range that it's going to come back and you're going to have a, a lot of you know success with it. So I think that's the thing that a lot of people lose sight of is, yeah, you can invest in it. You could have success, but you just, you're, you're making it very hard for yourself. And I think one other thing, and I'm going to throw it over to Andrew because I see as a, a follow-up, but um, when you're talking about earnings, that's the lifeblood of the company itself. Think of it almost like blood flowing through your body without that flow of the blood you're not going to live much longer and that's where a company has to be profitable because that's what's generating their ability to grow and and to sustain their operations but go ahead andrew yeah i was just going to say i mean when i was talking about atlantic power and the blog post i wrote about them they they actually if you were looking at the stock screeners they showed positive earnings for for that time period um, because a lot of these stock screeners will update quarterly and, uh, you know, just because you have a, a one quarter that's profitable doesn't mean you're profitable over the year. So I want to make sure you're looking at yearly earnings. And I know Ben Graham's said he looks at yearly earnings. He looks at even like three year, five year averages, whatever it is, you want to look at the annual report. Cause that's, that's like the main, this is the thesis that we're all basing our valuations on. And so if you see a company might look profitable in the quarterly earnings, but if they're not profitable in the annual earnings, then that's something you need to consider. And that's, that was the case with Atlantic Power. They, they had negative earnings in the annual report, but positive earnings in their quarterly report. And sure enough, their stock tanked. So, Let's take a quick break and hear from today's sponsors. Support for this podcast and the following message comes from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Coriant has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has deeply experienced teams in over 20 strategic locations. They have extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of planning, investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. As someone who's constantly on the road and traveling, Briggs & Riley has been a game changer that ensures my travel experience is phenomenal. I'm a satisfied customer of Briggs & Riley myself, and I can certainly tell you that their luggage performs. It's extremely durable, it has amazing features that make packing and getting around easier, and they have the best lifetime guarantee in the industry. If your bag is ever broken or damaged, they'll repair it free of charge, no questions asked, even if your airline damages the bag. They also just released their Simpatico collection of hard-sided luggage. It has this new one-touch feature, which allows you to expand your luggage, pack it, then compress it to its original size so a carry-on can still fit in the overhead compartment, plus many other cool features. If you want luggage that was awarded the best carry-on by Forbes, then now's the time to get it. Get your new and improved luggage at Briggs-Riley.com. That's Briggs-Riley.com. Looking to part ways with complicated, expensive, and uncertain shipping? 
Then give your business the edge it needs with USPS Ground Advantage shipping from the United States Postal Service. Keep everything simple with clear upfront pricing and no unexpected surcharges. Keep things affordable with some of the lowest prices out there. And keep it all reliable with on-time ground shipments. It's time to turn shipping to your advantage. Learn how at usps.com advantage. USPS Ground Advantage. Simple, affordable, reliable. All right, back to the show. Okay, uh, Andrew, uh, for sure, I think it's really interesting to hear about uh, value traps. Um, if you would like to give any recommendation, uh, books or resource to our audience, um, what should that be? And as a continuation of that, I would also like to hear if you have any investors that you have heavily modeled your approach uh, after. Yeah, that's that's a good question as well. Um, I would say for people, obviously, there's the the obvious books, right? There's Intelligent Investor, some of Warren Buffett's books. Everybody knows about those. One that I really liked that helped me during this process was James O'Shaughnessy's What Works on Wall Street. I know there's a lot of people that who don't like him because uh, he went through a time where he was very popular on Wall Street and everyone used his his ideas and then suddenly his ideas were not profitable anymore. Yes, that did happen. Uh, yes, his back tests don't work as, as well as they did before, but the information he presents in the book and just the lessons you can learn about why certain metrics and why certain valuations are, are important is really a great, is really a great thing to look at. So I think that's, that's one book that's people should check out if they're interested in this topic. Uh, as far as the second part, uh, of course, uh, you have my book too, which you can check out value trap indicator where I, I look at the 30 biggest bankruptcies. We break down what the value trap indicator means and we break down what were the similarities between these bankruptcies. And then to answer the second part of your question, uh, I actually did not model it. I did not model it based on one investor. I think what makes this indicator so different from everything else you see in on Wall Street and with with the value investing community and everything, it's it's unique and it, it looks at the big picture. What's the big picture? Let's not get so focused on little optimizations and, and little details that it's really easy to get stuck in that rabbit hole. Instead, what's the big picture? What are these what are these financial statements telling me? What's the picture that they're painting and what's the overall picture of the company? And let's use that to to profit. And by limiting your down your drawdowns, limiting how much you lose on a position, that's really how you'll outperform and if you want to outperform the market and even help boost your returns. I love that point personally. Um, I find that uh, I know Stig and I interact a lot with some of the people on our forum and uh, that's the common thing that you see is a lot of people are just so quickly pulled into the weeds of investing and they focus on like things that are not big picture. And I think for somebody who's starting out, I think that is some fantastic advice, Andrew, is start really big picture. Understand what the profit of a company is. Understand what the debt of a company is. Understand how could the company potentially fail, which is your value trap indicator uh, discussion. When you start with those really big chunks and think of it like you're almost sculpting something, you got to first knock off the big chunks whenever you're sculpting something and then you slowly and fine tune what it is that you're trying to create. 
And I think that's what people really need to do that are that are new to investing is they got to knock those big chunks off and understand the really big picture first and then eventually mold themselves down so that they understand the finer uh, elements of investing. So really great point. I, I love that. So, uh, Andrew, uh, if, if anyone wants to find you or learn more about you, um, and I, I also want to throw out there, Andrew is being very generous. Um, he, he briefly mentioned that he's he's writing a new book, and the book is going to be coming out soon. It's not uh, released yet. He'll tell you what the street date is, but he's also going to throw in a special thing for all of our listeners. So, uh, Andrew, go ahead and uh, tell people about your book. Thanks, Preston. Yeah, I'm going to. So the book is called Value Trap Indicator, examining the biggest bankruptcies of the 21st century to formulate a proven buy low, sell high approach. Uh, It's everything we talked about today. Uh, It comes out on April 2nd. I'm going to open up an early release for your listeners because I know this is coming out next week. And uh, what what I'm going to do is give you guys a special promo. So you can get 25% off on the checkout if you put in the promo code TIP for the Investors Podcast. So not only will you get first access to the book, uh, which I haven't even released to the public or my subscribers yet, but you also get this, this special discount. So uh, you can find that at valuetrapindicator.com. It'll send you right to the, the landing page and you can find out more information about the book and then TIP for the promo code. Perfect. And we'll have a link in our show notes as well. If you uh, you pull up our show notes, we'll have a link at the bottom for you guys to go ahead and check out Andrew's book. That was awesome. Really excited to have you on, Andrew. The, the information that you're imparting to our audience is very uh, useful and, and valuable for them. And uh, I think that it's a, a great fit. So uh, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. And uh, that's all we got, Andrew. Hey, thank you, Preston. Thank you, Stig. I had a great time. And uh, thanks for letting me ramble today. <laughs> All right, so this is the time in the show when we go to a question from a member of our audience. And this question comes from Eli Pontikos, and here's his question. Hi, Preston and Stig. Greetings from the UK. I just wanted to start off by thanking you both for providing all this invaluable information on your podcasts and on the Buffett's Books website. My question has to do with a comment Preston made in his recent video expressing his concerns about the health of the economy and what we might expect in the next couple of years. If I decided to cash out for my current investments, what do I do with the cash until the right buying opportunity reappears? Do I just hold on to the cash or are there any other short-term low-risk instruments that I can use? Many thanks, Eli. All right, Eli. So that's the magic question here. And I think for anybody that can answer that one and uh, look back in the next five years and and see how they performed, I think that is going to be the true test of how good you are. (laughs) But to tell you a definitive path of what the right solution is, that is really difficult to do. Um, I think that a lot of people get in a position where they know that there's a, a crash that could potentially happen in the next year or two, and they start moving into a cash position, and they they feel like they've got to be doing something. And that's whenever they a true test of your patience kind of comes out. And I think for you know most people, they'll sit there for maybe a month or two and say, I, I can't do this. I can't keep holding cash. I've got to put it into something. And so then maybe they enter back into the stock market or they enter back into something because they feel like they're doing nothing and that they're falling behind. But 
I'll tell you, I think that, that, that your patience is probably the most important thing, the most important asset that you're going to possess during the next year or year or two um, until you see some, some major changes in the market. Now, what you can do with your money in the meantime, I think the key here is you if you do invest your money, it needs to be something that is going to protect your principal so that you keep that principal in place. And here's the key. It's got to be able to quickly be turned back into cash or be liquid. And so that's the key because that's going to give you the ability to enter back into the market and to go back and buy stocks whenever that opportunity persists. So obviously the best thing, um, or I shouldn't say the best thing, but the thing that's going to give you that liquidity is cash. Um, You're going to have no problems being able to transfer that into what you want. Uh, Another option is bonds. Now, when you invest in an individual bond, you might be um, handicapped in the ability that you want to try to resell it at the right time. Um, There might not be a real high demand for that bond that you're trying to sell. So you might run into a liquidity issue. Um, Now, if you're investing in some type of index, uh, that's going to a bond index. You're going to be able to liquidate that a lot faster. Now, here's my word of caution for anybody that's looking at a bond as an investment during these next coming years. With a bond, especially with the interest rates the way that they are, which they're at all-time lows, if interest rates creep up, even in the smallest amount, that value of that bond index or bond individual bond itself is going to decrease in value. And that's where your risk really lies with owning a bond. So the key is, if you do invest in a bond index, which is what I would recommend because you can liquidate it a lot faster... Uh, I would recommend that the the duration of that bond is very small. So like something less than five years, because the smaller the duration on the bond, the less that it's going to be impacted with the change in interest rates. And that's the key point if you do move into bonds. But uh, Stig, go ahead. Let's hear your opinion. Yeah, so Eli, I think this is really a tricky question. And as Preston is saying, I don't think that anyone really uh, knows the answer to that one. Uh, you have to remember that the situation is very different from it was in 2007 and eight. And I also think that Preston mentioned that. So back then, the interest rate was, what, like 5%, uh, at least if it was a long-term bond. So you could put your money into bonds. And since the uh, Fed had the, uh, the uh, opportunity to decrease interest rate, uh, you would actually make a profit. And not only protecting your principal, but making a profit on bonds uh, back then. Uh, now, the situation is very different today. Um, as Preston was saying before, you really can't make any profit on uh, on um, the Fed lowering the interest rate, which will make your uh, bonds more valuable. Um, so what to do? Um, you know, I, I've been going back and forth on this, and I kind of agree with Preston in terms of, of cash. Uh, might not be the best, but perhaps the least bad, uh, <laughs> the least bad option uh, to, to, to some extent. Um, one reason is that inflation is not really high at the moment. It's we almost, uh, you know, close to deflation. So it's not like your cash will lose a lot of value. Um, but then you will probably hear people saying, well, could we at least protect against inflation? And I think you can. Uh, tips, that would, be, uh, that would be one idea. So that would be uh, simply a bond that follows inflation. Um, and then you will probably hear other people talking about gold. Now, we can probably have a whole uh, long podcast just about gold. Um, and I'm, I'm sure that if you look at gold, you can see that, that the follow inflation, at least in the long run. But I think what I'm really um, cautious about at the moment is the volatility. So as Preston was saying before, you really need to have access to the cash really, really fast. 
And if you see a crash, I have no clue where the gold price will, will you know, which direction it will go. So, yes, it might, you know, increase 20% or it might decrease 20%. But if your goal is really to protect your principal, um, I would not go into something that has volatility. Uh, because I think if you see a crash, then you can really make a, you know, high profit. And you shouldn't be thinking about making one or 2% return in the meantime. It's really not where the where the profit is made. I, I've got a point that I want to add because... Uh, Stig's exactly right. This is much different than 2007 to 2008, simply because interest rates are different than where they're at. And so as we look to the next crash and whenever that happens, like we said, we don't know. We we think it's going to be in a year or two years, but we really don't know. But when that happens, I do know that the Federal Reserve is going to have to do something to stimulate the economy and them lowering interest rates isn't an option because it's already at zero. Okay. So where they're going to have to induce and to spark the economy is they're going to have to print more money. They're going to have to do more quantitative easing. And the difference between this time and that time is on the last one, they changed the reserve ratio in order to offset that printing of more money. This time they can't really change the reserve ratio. So what I think you're going to see is I think that you are going to see an inflation in the currency. How much? It's really kind of hard to say. But whenever the market does crash, I think that that's going to be a very short window where um, a cash position is advantageous just because of the threat of inflation, because that's the only way the Fed's going to be able to get out of it. I don't think that that's going to happen necessarily immediately after the crash, but I think that it might happen within the year of the crash where whenever they start printing more money through the quantitative easing, that's where you've got a concern with continuing to hold your cash position. So then the next question is, is where do you go after that? And we'll have many more conversations where we can get into that. But I think people need to be aware of that. And you got to realize that there's a risk holding cash after the crash for a, for a long period of time because of the, the instruments and the tools that the Fed has at their disposal to fix this is very limited. It's not like the last crash. They have to start inflating the currency. And it really comes down to how much are they going to inflate it? Fantastic question. I think that that's probably the hardest question we could possibly answer um, and really try to provide guidance to everyone out there. And, and I really think everyone has to start thinking for themselves and really start making sure that you're comfortable with the position that you're in. And the most important thing to me every night is to make sure I sleep well and to make sure that I'm not worrying about this kind of stuff. And I think for where we're at right now, if you're trying to protect your principal, whether you keep that in cash, or you keep that in a low duration bond or something like that, I think that that's going to help you achieve that goal and also to make sure that you don't get hurt or harmed by this potentially brewing uh, economic issue that, that we're facing. So. Uh, long response. Uh, we really like the question, though. Uh, we'd really like to thank Andrew for coming on the show. He gave a fantastic interview, and I think that he brings up some really important things that people need to be thinking about as we go into this uh, high valuation in the market and um, these interesting times, I guess. And so, Eli, we're going to send you a free signed copy of our book, The Warren Buffett Accounting Book. And uh, we just really appreciate your question. And for anybody else out there that has a question, make sure that you go to asktheinvestors.com and you can record your question there and we'll potentially play it on the air and send you a free book. So uh, we really appreciate everybody joining us this week. Uh, Thank you so much for being in our audience. We really do uh, value uh, everyone's input and it's really fun interacting with everybody on our forum and all the other places. So uh, we'll see everybody next week. 
Thanks for listening to The Investor's Podcast. To listen to more shows or access to the tools discussed on the show, be sure to visit www.theinvestorspodcast.com. Submit your questions or request a guest appearance to The Investor's Podcast by going to www.asktheinvestors.com. If your question is answered during the show, you will receive a free autographed copy of the Warren Buffett Accounting Book. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This material is copyrighted by the TIP Network and must have written approval before commercial application.